Well, hey, folks, and welcome to the Jason Wright Show, Vitruvian Stories Edition. All right, so <clears throat> here's what I wanted to do. I'm going to start this new series. Maybe it'll stick. Maybe it won't. If you, if you haven't noticed, I like to try to experiment with different formats, different series, and um, I just think that it kind of it's kind of cool just to change it up. I don't want you guys to know exactly what you're getting every time you tune into the Jason Wright Show, but the one thing I do want you to always feel like you're getting is utility value. I want to always come on here with something that if there's just one little nugget of wisdom, of some of my past screw-ups, of some of the things that I've actually gotten kind of right, that I can share with you, that you can go, you know what, I could do that, or that reminds me of something I did, maybe I'm not such a, a jackass after all, then that to me makes it beneficial. And in one of the things that I am, I've really started to do after being on the James Altucher show, see, one of the things that happened whenever I went on James Altucher's podcast, and for those of you who don't know who James Altucher is, he is, uh, I think he's a polymath. He's a grandmaster chess player. He is a former hedge fund manager. He has made films. He's written books, best-selling books. He is basically he's he's owned a comedy club. The guy decided that he wanted to pursue stand-up comedy, and he bought a comedy club in order to make sure that he would always be able to get on stage instead of having to try to get onto a stand. I mean a a, a, a an open mic list. And so I've listened to James's podcast for years, and then it just it, I, I mean. The world is so crazy. I mean, this is so serendipitous. I've never been able to use the word serendipitous, and I just threw it in there like it was my job. So make note of that, folks. J-Dub just rocked the word serendipitous. It was serendipitous that I actually got to meet this guy named James Quandall through the James Altucher podcast. And fast forward a year and a half later, I get to be on the James Altucher show, Mentor Me, this series that he's doing. And one of the things that he said, well, let me back up a little bit. So the, whenever I was asked to be on the Mentor Me uh, series that James is doing, you know, uh, Jay Yao, his producer, uh, producer Jay, who's an awesome guy. Jay, if you happen to listen to this, you are the man. Jay asked me, he said, so what is, what's something to, that you want help with? What would you like for James to kind of mentor you on? And for me, it's content creation, this podcast, writing, basically taking the things that I'm most passionate about and really honing the skill into something that has great value for an audience. And so James, he had gone through and he had read a lot of my articles. And one of the things that he noticed whenever we were talking was I had all these incredible stories, which again, I don't think they're that incredible. Uh, I do think I've had a pretty colorful and interesting life, but it's really hard to write about yourself. And especially when you're someone like me, I mean, I'm not famous. I'm not that accomplished in my mind. And so I'm like, you know, I just don't, I take for granted some of the crazy things I've done. And James is like, you know, you have told me all these great stories, you need to tell those stories in your writing. For example, he brought up the, the article that I wrote a while back. Maybe some of you read it if you're a subscriber to the Vitruvian Letter, which I hope if you're not that you actually will be after this podcast. Please go to jasonrightnow.com and subscribe to the Vitruvian Letter. And I'm asking you to do it as a favor. I know it's a lot to ask. It's one more email. It comes once a week. It's short. It's pithy. And understand, I'm truly trying to hone my skill as a writer and as a creator and as someone who is a coach and mentor myself. And so by subscribing to that, you're really helping me with my craft. So not only am I going to try my best to give you the greatest amount of value, which is to say 
all of it, hopefully, if you find anything of value, it's 100% value to you because I don't charge for the Vitruvian letter. But also, I would love your feedback. I'd love for you to consume it and try to watch me grow through this process. So that's the uh, jasonrightnow.com, the Vitruvian letter. Please, please sign up. And so what I've started trying to do after that interview with, uh, with James on the Mentor Me episode is try to add some more of my stories. Just be a better storyteller in my article writing because the the thing that he brought up was this article that I wrote on three steps to buying a business, which to me is one of my favorite topics. I mean, I bought my first company when I was 28. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, and so, but it worked. And there were a lot of things that I did in acquiring that business that were pretty remarkable. In fact, whenever I was telling the story to James, he was like, I didn't even know you could do that. And he was like, kind of like, are you kidding me? And he goes, you never mentioned this. He said, this story is nowhere on your website. You have actually executed this in buying your own business, and you didn't even talk about it in the, in the article. And he said, you've got to tell these stories. So I thought, okay, that's a great idea. And so I had written a rough draft of an article on joy. And I thought, you know, I need to actually take James's advice and apply what he has taught me to try to write this story better. And so in the most recent issue of the Vitruvian Letter, and it's also, I've actually published it on the website under articles, jasonrightnow.com, just click on articles and you can find this article. Uh, The article is titled Joy and the Happy Han Man. And so here's what I thought I would do on the Vitruvian Notes uh, episode of the podcast is I would take one of these stories that have a hopefully have utility value to you as a as an entrepreneur, as a as a self improver. I mean, you know, the motto of the Jason Wright Show is to improve always and always. The Vitruvian, it, the reason why I use Vitruvian Man as kind of a muse for the improve always and always lifestyle is because it's perfect proportion. That was Da Vinci's attempt to draw the perfectly proportioned human. So I'm always trying to strive for perfect proportion in my spiritual life in my relational life, in my physical health, you know, all these things I want to try to, even though I'll never reach perfect proportion, that is the goal. And so the Vitruvian letter is where I encapsulate some of the things I'm doing, and I try to, you know, include stories and articles on things I'm attempting to do, research I've done, something cool I've read on, you know, slowing the aging process, on, you know, mindfulness, just all these different things. So this one was an article I had written on joy, And I think that, you know, it was basically kind of like me telling you, as the reader, if you had read the article, how to experience joy and how to notice the difference between joy and happiness, which as anyone knows, there is quite a difference. And so I thought, well, after this conversation with James, I'll make the attempt of one, writing a more enticing headline or an opening sentence and I'll make it more story-based, and I got to tell you. Now, granted, some people that have responded are just being kind, I'm sure, because they, they knew that I was on the show. They knew I was trying to do something different. But by and large, the response to this article has by far exceeded a lot of the others, and I think it's because I took James's advice. So I'm not saying that I have become overnight a much better writer or storyteller, but I do want to give credit where credit's due to my mentor, my once virtual mentor, now live mentor, James Altucher, that I took his advice and I tried to be a better storyteller in writing this article. And what I want to do in Vitruvian Notes is I want to take one of those articles 
And I want to read it, but I also want to do commentary on it so that you can get a little more texture and a little more flavor and kind of get the the behind the scenes, if you will, the VH1 behind the music or the, the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. And also, I want to offer this in another medium. I know some of you, you listen to this podcast, you've known about the Vitruvian Letter, but you don't read newsletters. You don't like to read. Understandable. Not a lot of people do. So I want to be able to share these stories on the podcast in a way that you can consume it and digest it as you go along your day, whether you're out there running or going in the car, whatever. So it's just a taking advantage of another medium to share this story that hopefully will land somewhere in your life and give you some value and some benefit in whatever you're going through. And I can tell you of all the things that I have improved over the last, I would say, decade or so, by far one of the greatest improvements in my life has been my understanding of what is real joy. What is true joy? And that's one of the things that I wanted to share with you because I think that all of us were, were searching for a lot of things that I think are, we're, we're most likely going to come up empty because we're looking outwardly at things that really don't matter. We think that material items, if you haven't heard my recent uh, podcast episode that I released this week with Craig Stanlin, uh, you got to listen to that. I mean, Craig does an excellent job of illustrating how we can lose everything. I mean everything. Lose our wife, our all of our possessions, everything. And in that find more riches within us than we could have ever imagined. And I know it sounds trite. I know it sounds kind of rah-rah, la-woo. But I'm just here to tell you, if you can get yourself to a place where you start to find your joy, your contentment, and your riches within you and not outside, then you will stop striving so much. You will pursue endeavors that just almost make no sense because we fall into this trap, especially in the West and especially in the United States of if it doesn't pay me, then why do it? If I can't make money as a writer, then why write? If I can't make money off my Vitruvian letter, why even write it? Well, that's one of the things. It's a great example. I didn't mean to throw this in as an example, but that's a great example. I get paid not one penny for the Vitruvian letter. Uh, There's a few links in there, I guess, advertising uh, the Vitruvian Lab, my personal development courses, but really it's not, there's not a lot of clicks. There's not a lot of affiliate ads. I, I just, that's not why I do it. If one day it grows to the point where it's monetizable and it makes sense, but it, and it still adds value. Okay. Maybe I'll use it for a vehicle for that, but really what it is, it's something that I have to create every week. Nobody wants me. Nobody, nobody tells me to, I don't have a boss, I, it, but it, it, it put, it gives me something that I put myself under the pressure of producing. So I'm creating something out of thin air. I get to hone my writing skill. None of you are paying me for it, but it's still, I get an enjoyment out of getting better. It's the process. And that's one of the things that Craig and I talk about is that it's kind of that fixed versus growth mindset thing. You know, a fixed mindset says, Unless I can win at a thing, winning being the trophy, the money, whatever the case may be, the big house, unless I can do that, I'm not even going to pursue it. And if I go after those things, if I go, if I play the game and I don't win, then I'm distraught. I'm a loser and it was not even worth it in the first place. A growth mindset will say, you know, whether there's one reader or a million readers of the Vitruvian letter, I am going to win by going through the process by honing this skill. 
And that's what I'm trying to get to in my life. And as I've done that with this podcast, with writing the Stone Chiseler, which you can reach it, you can pick up a copy or maybe go ahead. You know, I think it's better if you buy this book a thousand copies at a time uh, because, you know, you're going to burn through it. The pages are going to kind of icky. And so go ahead and get some backup. So I encourage you to go buy a thousand copies of the Stone Chiseler at Amazon.com. If you, when I wrote that book, the joy looking back on it, Notice, it has not reached the New York Times bestsellers. It is not an Amazon bestseller like what Craig Stanlin, who, who was on the show this week, had with his book, um, Blank Canvas. It, but I can sit here and tell you it was worth it. It's there. It's done. It's created. I wrote a book. I published a book. And there was victory in that. And what happened was that book, while it might, may not be a bestseller, it certainly prepared me for the next book and the next book and the next book. And maybe it may take 20, 30, 40 years to write that book that actually falls into your hands and you read and go, I can't wait till Jason releases his next one. But I had to start somewhere. It's that Zig Ziglar saying that, you know, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. And when you start realizing that it's not just starting, but it's the it's all the points in between of pursuing greatness, when you can start to find joy and that process, then it takes a lot of the load off and it makes life a lot more fun. And that's what a growth mindset will do for you. Is it's like you start to realize, man, win or lose, I'm getting better. I'm gaining from this. No matter what, there, this almost everything becomes a no-lose situation. So I wanted to bring you guys for the first installment of Vitruvian Notes, the joy of, which is titled Joy and the Happy Han Man, this story that um, of my very first trip to Asia, I was, uh, it was a mission trip to the southern Hunan province of China, and it started in a little old, one of the oldest provinces in China called Luzhan, and we were going to be starting there, and we were going to be hiking into the foothills of the Himalayas, um, taking little cassette tapes with the gospel up into these really, really remote regions. Now, I got to set this up for you. Whenever you're hiking in China, if you've ever been hiking in the Rocky Mountains, for example, or the Appala- if you follow the Appalachian Trail or anything like that in the States, you know that there are, one, there's park rangers, two, there's usually pretty well-marked trails, three, the mountains are such that there's ridges, so you can go up for a while, and then there'll come, become, become a ridge, so you can kind of rest, there's flat ground, then you, kinda, you can kind of traverse back and forth, right? That's not the case in the Himalayas. The Himalayas go one way, up or down. And they don't traverse. It's just a straight shot up. Secondly, there are no marked trails. There are goat trails that you fight through that are very thin, very narrow. And there is no park service. Not only is there no park service, but China doesn't have commercial flights going over every day. So you're just, you're, you are literally, and it takes a while to realize by looking around that you are truly in a wilderness situation. And so what we had done, I think this was like the, it was a 15-day trip, and I don't remember where we were in the process, but there were like six of us that went, we broke up into groups of three, and myself, Jason Smith, and Butch Ballou, shout out to those guys, who, by the way, be listening, I'm going to bring them back on, so this, this prompted me to want to bring those guys back on to really go into detail about this trip, which was life-changing, life-trying, um, it, it was just an amazing adventure the likes of which I had never been on, been on before and have not been on since. But 
we uh, we split up into th- into groups of three. So myself, Butch, and Jason, we go off. And here's the thing, too: we had to travel like five and a half hours to get to from point A to point B. And we spent the night in a, a large, and they're all large cities. Most all cities in China are pretty big. They're going to have a million plus population. I don't even remember which one we were in at this time. We spent the night in this dingy little uh, room that was kind of like a high-rise hostel type situation. I don't know what it was. I mean, we were traveling as cheap and bare bones as we could. We had a 50-pound pack on our backs that had everything that we would be using, wearing, toothbrush, everything for the entire 15 days. So we spent the night. And then we get up the next day to get from point B to point C. We had, and we, we, I think we literally had to hire a truck. We went by boat. And then finally we come to the second to last stop to get us to where we were going to actually start our hike. And it was interesting. So we come upon this little village and, and there, there are no cabs. There's no Uber. There's no travel agent has us all set up to go, go to a point where the, the little, uh, car rental places or the guided service that that doesn't exist no getting from point a to point b to point b to point c you might end up hiring a dump truck driver to allow you to get in his back the back of his truck you might catch a ride on a shrimp boat you just do whatever you have to and you just read from a book trying to give some and none of us speak mandarin chinese so you're trying to you know overcome the language barrier which is much easier than you would realize it's kind of cool uh, being stuck in that situation how you realize humans can communicate pretty well with or without uh the native tongue so we get there and we we, we get around all these people and we, we we motion for some guys to come up and we try to tell them what we're doing and when jason t- shows them where we're going and describes to them what where, where we're trying to get to everyone just breaks out laughing going no no and we're like oh my gosh this is not a good sign and then finally, this one Chinese national comes out in matching in, in khaki shirt and pants, and he he take he lights a cigarette. He takes the uh, he takes the directions from us, and he looks and he says uh, and he he looks at it for a moment and he goes, "Okay." I mean, it's this stern look on his face, just like, "Okay, I'll do it." That's what we got from his body language, and. Um, Everybody starts laughing at him. Everybody is around. So we're like, this must be a bad, bad deal. This, where are we going? What's the deal? And if you've ever seen those, that, that old Discovery Channel uh, show, World's Most Dangerous Roads, we went along the world's most dangerous roads. This guy takes us in one of those little bitty tiny pickups that you've seen. It looks almost like a go-kart, right? It's like a pickup. And we get in the back of that, and we are holding on for dear life. I mean, there's five, 600-foot drops on one side, the mountain on the other. The, the, the entire road is probably 10 feet wide. If someone had been coming down the mountain towards us, I have no idea how we would get past them. And there, no less than four or five times, we have to stop and push this guy through the mud because we're getting stuck. And we just keep going and going. And by the way, we did this all... We, I think we paid him the equivalent of 60 U.S. dollars. This entire trip up the mountain was five and a half, six hours in this little truck that I'm convinced is going to go barreling over the mountain at any time. So we're scared to death. We're at the, the height of anxiety. We get to this point where all of a sudden the bridge is washed out in front of us. And the driver just throws his hands in the air as if to say, well, this is the end of the road, fellas. And so we get out, 
and we grab our packs and we start walking. We're going to walk the rest of the way. Well, it turns out that just on the other side of the washed out bridge was this little village where we were supposed to stay, where the hostel was that we were, and here's what was supposed to happen. So I think at this time, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon. And we were supposed to arrive there significantly later. We'd made good time. And we were supposed to get like five or six, spend the night, and then get up and go. Now, here's the thing you have to know. We were not supposed to be doing what we were doing. You cannot go to communist China and proselytize uh, the, the people. So we couldn't like backtrack. We always had to be moving forward. So the idea was to go to this hostel spend the night, get up early, start our hike into the mountains where we would be for like three days hiking through these really small individual farms on the side of the mountains, delivering these little cassettes with the gospel on them. And um, But it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and we make the executive decision to go ahead and start climbing the mountain. And I'm like, I, I don't know. You know. Jason is an experienced hiker and has been on many mission trips. I'm like, all right, whatever. So we decided, fine, let's do it. Let's make some good time. And we're going to that we're trying to find this little bitty lip way up in the mountain that's called the shepherd's uh, shack, which is a little lean-to where that where a shepherd would stay to tend sheep. And that's where we're headed. Well, it doesn't go all that well. With It wasn't, man, I guess it was probably an hour and a half into the trip, two things occur to us. One, it's so humid that we are sweating all of our bodily fluids out. And especially, I, I sweat a ton. So I just have a stream of sweat coming down my hat. And so this is not good. Two, the trail that we're going on, this little goat trail, it is, um, it is flanked by these tall, weed-looking things that are like in, in East Texas, I grew up calling them bull needles. They're like these little, they, they have these little sticky needle-like things that stick you if you touch them. And so just walking by them, it's like they itch and they stick. And then three, they have these little worms on the end of them kind of standing on end on end, kind of like making a little curve. And if you're watching on YouTube, they're doing like this. And they, and, and all of a sudden we, so we see them, it's like, wow, that's weird. Those are worms on these spiky weeds that were going by. And then all of a sudden we notice that the little worms are ending up on our skin. They're leeches. And they are getting in every single crevice they can. They're covering our legs, our arms, our necks. Also, now we're getting, we're able to hike for about 15 minutes. And by the way, the grade starts going to about 60, 70%. I mean, I could actually lean over and touch the side of the mountain. So it's all, there are times where with this 50-pound pack on this slick goat trail flanked by these spiky bull needle uh, weed things with leeches on them that I'm almost crawling up the mountain, but we're having to stop every like 15 minutes or so to pull the leeches off so that they don't get into some areas where we really don't want to have leeches. And so we're doing everything we can to try to keep the leeches off and we're climbing and we're climbing and all of a sudden I can feel I'm dehydrating. I start getting dizzy. It becomes just a matter of like, oh my God, I start getting like, what have I done? And there's no turning back because Again, I mentioned you cannot proselytize in China. So anywhere we had been, we couldn't like turn around and go back. Now, here's the thing that I haven't told you. There's one more little kink, one more little little wrinkle in this story. The missionaries that had gone before us and had mapped out this trail for us to go, they gave Jason a GPS with all the waypoints on it. Waypoints are like, imagine a map with the cities, where you're going, all the different places you're going. And in between those are treks which on a map would be roads. 
Well, we had the waypoints. We knew the little stops. But guess what? For some reason, there were no treks. And when you're hiking straight up a mountain, it's not like, and you're exhausting all of this energy. And there's also this tiny little detail of water. The only water that we have to drink is water that we find. It's lukewarm, it's nasty, and we have to put purification tablets in it to make it safe to drink. And so if we go too long and we can't find water, we're kind of screwed. And because it's taking so much time and energy just to get up the mountain, I mean, it takes you like to, just to get like three miles up the mountain can take you four or five hours. So just going, oh, well, this isn't the right way, turn around and start over, that's not really an option. So all these things start to flood into our minds. It's just, it's ridiculous. So that's just to kind of set up the conditions for which I found myself in before I met the happy Han man. All right, so here's the article that I wrote. And as I go, I'll give you a little more details about the happy Han man and kind of leading up to that. But that was just to set the stage. So here's what's happening again before I meet the happy Han man. I'm becoming increasingly dehydrated, scared out of my mind. I'm in the most remote regions of China. If I die, nobody finds me. There's nobody, there's nobody monitoring these trails where we are. No one knows we're here. If, if I go, and there's no way that Jason and Butch can get me out if, I, if, I'm, if I'm out. I mean, I'm really thinking I'm out. I'm going to die. So here we go. Joy and the happy Han man. It was 2003 and I was dying. No, I mean it. I was risking death. I had been hiking through the foothills of the Himalayas on my first ever mission trip. Over the course of three days, I had weaved through leech-infested goat trails, dehydrated, and lost 15 pounds. I did not go to the bathroom either direction, folks, for three days. Yeah, that, yeah just think about that for a minute. That was weird. The two guys I was hiking with were ahead of me. The three of us were making our way to a small hillside farm. My vision was blurry. My mind was hazy. My tongue was sticky and fat. Now, here's something I want to tell you. Here's, I'm taking a break from reading. I can't remember who it was. I was reading a story about these soldiers that they had to go this, like, un, they, were, they were frostbitten. Their feet were just, they were, like, poorly outfitted. And they knew that, they had to go like 140 miles. I don't know if that's right, but they had to go 140 miles. And when someone asked them after they they actually made it, which just describing the story, it was like that would be impossible. No one could do that. But one of the soldiers that was being profiled for this uh, this article, this story that I that I read, he said, "No, if you'd asked me, can we make it the 140 miles? I'd say absolutely not. But what I knew was that I could make one more step. I knew I could take one more step." And that's the way this trek became for me. I honestly did not think I was going to reach the end. I didn't think we were going to reach the top or where we were going. I just, I couldn't fathom it. Imagine the way I felt at the, the day that after that first day of hiking, we finally made it up to the, to the shepherd's uh, shack, which we slept in two man tents and you turn the light on and you could see the leeches all up on top on the roof through the screen of the tent it's hot it's muggy it's disgusting i really i think i felt like i had just had a really bad virus you know where you puke for like three days you're weak you have you just have no energy and i'm thinking the next day i've got to get up throw that 50 pound pack on and keep going in this remote region it was crazy but i did start to think just take one step just one step All right, returning to the story. 
one more step, one more step. Don't look over the edge, one more step. This is what I said to myself for hours. Then I would slide down the side of the mountain, trying desperately not to collapse under the weight of my 50-pound pack I was carrying. This was incredibly difficult given the giving the falling warm rain and the slick mud that guided my my steps. We made it to the to the little farm where we were headed. It was a one-room shack with a covered porch. One small pen was outside with a pig in it. I threw up in the in the pig pen, shed my pack and fell backwards. Lying on the cool dirt of the back porch was a bliss. Now this is crazy how in certain circumstances things that we would never appreciate before can be some of the greatest gifts ever. I remember so right before we came up on the the um the little farm, the little shack, Butch had given me a sip of his lukewarm Kool-Aid, which by the way, I don't like Kool-Aid, but let me tell you something, that was the most amazing Kool-Aid I have ever had in my life. So here's a tip. If you find yourself out in somewhere where you're not going to have ice and you're going to only be able to drink tepid, lukewarm water the whole time, take some Kool-Aid or something with a little flavor to mix it in because it is money. So Butch gives me a little sip of his Kool-Aid. We get up to this little shack and there's a the pig pens there. I just puke whatever lukewarm water I had in my system along with Butch's Kool-Aid. I take my pack off and I just fall backwards. And of course, I'm covered in sweat, what sweat I had left. And the coolness of this mud floor underneath this back little lean-to porch they built was bliss. I remember just lying there thinking, oh my God, thank you for this cool earth. It was literally like a gift from God. It was God's chili pad cooling me off right there. It was so amazing. So I'll continue. Lying on the cool dirt floor of the back porch was bliss. My friends and I were greeted by a Chinese national wearing only a pair of pants that had been cut into culottes. Well, that and a big smile. Peeking out of the and peeking out of one of my friend's pockets was a picture. The man immediately became animated and started pointing at the picture. I mean, it was crazy. This guy walks up, and all of a sudden, he starts looking at Jason. And Jason's got this picture that had what, what the, the missionaries that had gone before us called the Happy Han Man. And they had told us, look for the Happy Han Man, and he'll help you if you need it. And this guy's going nuts. He's just looking at this. He's pointing. He's like, oh, my gosh. He's, he, you know, he didn't say, oh, my gosh. But he's like, he, you could tell that he was really animated because he saw the picture in Jason's pocket. It was a picture of him. He had found, we had found the happy Han man. This, this is how the missionaries that had gone before us described him. This was his little farm. He was known to help those who passed by. They had been here before and took the picture and gave it to us to look, to look for him. So we find ourselves, if in case we find ourselves in need of assistance, it was so cool because this is probably the only picture of himself this guy had ever seen in his life. So when he, when Jason handed him the picture, he just stared at it in like wonder for so long. I mean, imagine that you're just all of a sudden these big, you know, American, you know, they don't know we're American, but these big guys, with giant packs on come trekking up to your back door and they've got a picture of you, which you've never seen. It's just all of a sudden you're thinking, wow, this had to be kind of surreal for this guy. The entire time we were with him, he never lost that wide smile. This was a man not just happy, but full of joy. He had little to no material belongings. He had no running water. He had no electricity, but he exuded joy. How could this be? And I got to tell you, that is the absolute truth. 
This guy comes up to us barefooted, his little pants on, and with, you know, they're being cut off, no shirt. And I'm, when I tell you, I mean, this shack was a shack. It was dirt floor. It was thatched. It was, um, there was no running water, no electricity. These farms are obviously, obviously these people don't own any property. So it was government administered, I suppose. And they were living out on this, this remote area. And this dude was just so happy, so joyful, and wasn't even suspicious of us. I mean, he had this, he had some dude passed out on his back porch, you know, and, and two other guys, these giant packs. And he's just as friendly and happy as he could possibly be. I'll continue. Continue reading, that is. I think it's because joy is deeper than anything material gifts can provide us. Joy is something that begins inside and is shown outwardly. I think when one finds joy, they have found one of life's greatest treasures for sure. Joy is a unique emotion, different from happiness. It can be described as an intense feeling of pleasure or satisfaction that surpasses the level of joy experienced by temporary happiness. As C.S. Lewis famously said, joy is the serious business of heaven, meaning it stands for something much deeper and more meaningful than mere contentment or satisfaction. Joy is something that goes beyond the fleeting happiness we will feel when we achieve something or experience an exciting moment. Now, I got to tell you, as far as an exciting moment here, it was pretty funny. Um, I had this old, cheap Walmart digital Timex that I, I purchased for this trip. And the happy Han man was just fascinated by this watch. I think I paid 20 bucks for it. And because he kept looking at it with just amazement, he had obviously never seen a digital watch. Um, I gave it to him. You would have thought that I had given that dude $10 million. He was just overwhelmed. He couldn't believe it. And I always felt so bad because I knew eventually that battery was going to die and his watch wasn't going to work. But I was happy to give him that watch. Uh, all right, continuing. Joy is something that we can cultivate within ourselves through daily practices such as meditation, journaling, creative activities, and more. By focusing on joy as a core emotion rather than temporary happiness, we can truly unlock our potential for growth and fulfillment. Scientific studies have also explored the power of joy and its potential to increase overall well-being. Studies suggest that joy can, can improve physical health, strengthen relationships, increase productivity at work, and even help people bounce back from adversity uh, more easily. Joy has been found to be associated with better mental health outcomes such as fewer symptoms of depression and improved resilience. Joy can even contribute to better physical health with findings indicating that it can improve immune system functioning and reduce stress levels. The more I find out about how, and this is not, I'm not reading now, the more I find out about the health benefits of mood and like this joy and creativity, I'm just blown away. So many of our problems are in fact in our head or enhanced by the thoughts that we have, the way we treat them. I mean, look, you guys are going to think I'm crazy, which you probably already do anyway. But I've started this uh, practice of whenever, if I even, and which this has been a long time, uh, but if I start to feel like I'm getting a cold or a little bit of congestion, I will talk to my white blood cells. I will say, body, produce the white blood cells that you're supposed to. Fight this. Fight this. Whatever, whoever you are inside, whatever is it going on, I will, I will literally from my mind order my body to start healing itself. And I will not acknowledge the illness. I will acknowledge what I can do versus what I can't do. And I will literally tell my body, heal 
do this. Heal. And it is crazy. It is crazy the difference it has made. And so if you find yourself as someone who is getting sick frequently, staying sick, when you find yourself in those moments, try to find, try to counteract it with your thoughts. It is a powerful, powerful thing. Ultimately, joy is, I'm reading again, ultimately, joy is an emotion we should work to cultivate in our lives. Its power goes beyond the temporary happiness experienced in something exciting happens or achieving a goal. Instead, it is a lasting feeling of connectedness, purpose, and growth. Joy can lead to improved mental and physical health, greater personal resilience, and increased productivity. As Viktor Frankl said, live life in the full light of joy. Joy should be a primary focus when striving for true fulfillment. I'm glad to have met the happy Han man. The most, uh, the the to most of the world, he has nothing. To me, he has the greatest treasure of all, joy. And this isn't some episode or this article wasn't uh, meant to get everyone to pursue some sort of uh, minimalism or non-materialist, non-materialistic attitude. Although. I think that's a that's a healthy thing, but when you start shedding yourself of the outward stuff and you start to focus more on building inward treasures and building up joy, whatever that means for you, and a lot of it just starts with meditation. A lot of it just starts calming your mind and figuring out how to be just content and happy alone with yourself and your thoughts for a moment, sorting those out. And then I, I encourage all of you to find some sort of creative endeavor to pursue you know, um, I always, I've, you've heard me say this probably before on this podcast, go build a birdhouse. And I first heard this, um, from some guy that was talking about how things that we need to do to improve ourselves often. And he said, you know, everyone needs to go build a birdhouse because when you build a birdhouse, you won't lie to yourself. You're going to know if your birdhouse sucks. It's not like being in a college classroom where if you're able to regurgitate the, the, ideology or the philosophy that the professor has, then you may or may not be right. You may or may not be doing a good job, or you, you may just be, you know, kissing ass. You never really know. But if you go out and build a birdhouse, you'll know whether it's good or not. You won't lie to yourself. You won't tell yourself, oh no, this is a great birdhouse. It's beautiful. No matter what, it's beautiful. No, you won't do that. And I think we all need to do that. But the thing is, it's not about building the world's greatest birdhouse. It's just about, first of all, exercising our brain, exercising our creative juices to go build something and then find joy in that process to stand back and go, my birdhouse sucks, but I know how to build a birdhouse. And because now I know how to build a birdhouse, the next one I build, it will be better. And that's what I, and that's why I, I look at this podcast. This is how I build my birdhouse. It now, this episode now exists and hopefully again, if one of these ideas landed with you, the pursuit of joy, just the you know being able to find happiness and relief in a cold, wet, you know mud floor when you feel like you're about to die, whatever it is, you know that then that made this worthwhile. So that's it. This is episode one of Vitruvian Notes. I'm going to keep bringing these to you, and, and hopefully it will make me a better storyteller. And I would solicit this from you. I would love for you, if you have a story that you think it was life-changing, it was a moment in your life that you just want to tell it, let me know. 
Go to the contact page of jasonrightnow.com. Let's tell your stories. I think that anything that we can do to share with one another those moments that just because we, we're not, you know, you don't have to be celebrity. You don't have to be someone important to have crushed this one aspect of life, to have had revelation that is worth sharing. So share your stories with me and maybe we'll, uh, maybe I'll start including some, because uh, I don't want you, I mean, I want to hear your stories and my stories. I've got, I've got a lot of them. And this will hopefully help me become a better teller of those stories. But let's share all of our stories of things that have changed. So maybe one of your stories will be featured on Vitruvian Notes. All right, until we meet again, hey, go out, listen to the Craig Stanlin episode. It's great. Also, um, it, that Sean Medlin, my, my, my interview with him, it was fantastic. I mean, these two, the last two episodes that I've had that were interviews have been really rich on wisdom, life experience, and just just real, just stuff that's real. We all go through some stuff. We go through those valleys, but that's where the good stuff grows. And thank you to Craig. Thank you to Sean for sharing some of your valley moments, your mountaintop moments, and what you've learned in your wisdom. So go back, listen to those episodes. And until we meet again, never, ever stop endeavoring to improve. Always, in all ways, I'm Jason and I'm out. Well, that does it for this episode of the Jason Wright Show. Thank you so much for listening. This has been a Texas Titan Media production. Fourth Wall did the music. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Please consider going out to jasonwrightnow.com and signing up for the Vitruvian Letter. Also, please go out to iTunes. It takes like 30 seconds to just leave us a five-star rating. It does wonders for the podcast. I would be so grateful. And with that, until we meet again, go crush it and endeavor to improve always in all ways. I'm out. Thank you.